Welcome to this special marketing edition of Talk Commerce, where we explore how merchants, agencies, and developers experience commerce and the communities they work and live in. This week, we interview Jen Roth, the president and co-founder of Growth Mode Marketing. We discuss B2B marketing and why every business owner needs to break down what they are doing for marketing and measure, measure, measure. Jen talks about agency work and what agencies could do for clients. Her best advice, listen to your clients. We talk about the reasons why entrepreneurs need to hire a marketing agency and some of the benefits and ROI they get in return. This is a very informative episode for merchants and agencies. We finish up on a discussion on how diversity helps us all be better business owners. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by SwiftDotter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Daughter. Swift Daughter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. Cloud is a new normal for companies of any size. Buying, maintaining, upgrading, and disposing of machines is expensive and complicated. Amazon Web Services, managed by eWay Corp, offers an easy-to-use, flexible, cost-effective solution to all your infrastructure needs. eWay Corp can provide a secure, reliable, scalable, high-performance network that will make your office hum, not literally. eWay Corp has saved its customers an average of 31% on their IT costs while adding 62% to the bottom line efficiency. To top that, their customers have seen 43% fewer security incidents. Go to eWayCorp.com to learn how you can start saving money and headaches by moving to the cloud. That's E-W-A-Y-C-O-R-P dot com. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to this special marketing episode of Talk Commerce. Talk Commerce! Today, we, are, <laughs> we have the pleasure of having Jennifer Roth here. Jennifer, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about what you do and one of your passions. Awesome. Well, I, my name is Jen Roth, as Brent said. I, um, I run Growth Mode Marketing along with my business partner, and we are a Twin Cities-based women-owned uh, agency, full-service agency, and we are super passionate about helping companies grow, hence our name, Growth Mode. Um, we love to align strategies and programs and marketing investments directly with our clients' goals measure that and help them deliver the results and the outcomes that they they desire um passion i i guess i have a couple but i love going to really awesome restaurants 
Um, I actually got to go to a three Michelin star restaurant a couple weeks ago in Washington, D.C. with my um, entrepreneurs organization forum. And it was super, super awesome. Um, and I love going with my girlfriends to Napa. So that's probably two of my uh, my favorite uh, guilty pleasures when I'm not a mom and, and a marketer and, and a wife. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, and uh, we are lucky to, in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, to have some fantastic restaurants to go to. Uh, but today we're not going to talk about restaurants. Let's talk a little, a little bit about marketing. Um, I know that, uh, so you focus on growth, but also on B2B and probably growth in B2B. So let's start with B2B. Um, do you, tell us a little bit about the, what you do for B2B and in, in the marketing realm. Okay. So yeah, B2B marketing is different than consumer-based marketing, um, primarily because in the B2B world, it's a considered purchase, multi-step, um, complex buying process where you will often start um, your journey of driving awareness with not only the decision maker, but also the influencer or the champion. So it's really common in B2B to have a C-suite person sign off on an actual purchase, but um, the people who will be using this, the solutions that you're selling are often different. They're often managers, directors, VPs, et cetera. And so you see, it's just a, it's just a different world because um, the evaluation process is considerable. Um, brand loyalty is certainly very, very important. Um, but the way that people buy in the B2B world is just different. So we focus on that. And for those of you who don't know, B2B is business to business. So any business that sells a product to another business falls in that B2B category. It's super common for B2B companies to also have a B2C component where they might be selling things like um, benefits, healthcare benefits, for example, or software directly to consumers as well as a benefit for something that they use. So uh, yeah, so that's kind of what growth mode does. And so do you, you develop strategies not only for new B2B, but you also then develop strategies for an existing, so you already have a client, you want to then tell them about new products that you're, that you as a company are marketing and selling. I'm assuming that you come up strategies for them as well. We do. In fact, um, most often when clients come to growth mode, we have a model. We have a model that includes kind of three phases. We call it a growth marketing model, and we implement it with almost every client that we serve. The first phase is really around setting your foundation. The second phase is really around building your presence. And the third phase is really around feeling predictable growth, which is where most people want to get to because that's really where you start to see your marketing investment materialize in the form of conversions and leads and sales. Um, but most often a client does come to us and they come to us for a variety of different reasons, but it's often something like, we are growing really fast and we don't have the marketing resources and capabilities in-house that we need. We need an extension of our team to help us strategize and think through the right way to bring our business and our products to market. Um, and or we need to launch a new product and we've never launched a product before. Um, and or we don't plan on hiring a bunch of people internally. We don't want to hire a bunch of people internally. We just need an agency who can serve as our partner and our arms and our legs 
and provide the, the exact types of marketing expertise that we need when we need them, dialing them up when we need them and dialing them down when we don't. So that's often where people start is in you know coming to us and we'll build out, it might be a whole business marketing plan. It might be a roadmap, a marketing roadmap with more concrete, like specific deliverables, or it might be a very targeted plan for like a big event that you're launching or a big product that you're launching. Um, but that's typically where, where we start. And then we actually work through kind of a series of different um, programs and activities based on what the client needs. And so most often we focus on that foundation, not always, because there are times when folks totally have their foundation set. But in 20 some years of experience working in marketing, I can tell you that if you don't know um, who you are, what you stand for, why you're unique, and what your customers care about, all the marketing in the world is not going to work. So we spend a lot of time up front working on helping people figure out what is unique to them, important to their customer, and provable. And we do that through stakeholder sessions. We do it through voice of customer interviews. We do it through competitive audits. And then from that, what often comes out is personas, buyer journeys, um, messaging, brand identity work. Again, not always, but often we end up helping clients really evolve and think through that. Um, and then that turns into a website um, where they're able to showcase their story and their brand and who they are in the form of relevant messaging, compelling information, um, optimized sites with words and, and buying experiences that we know their buyers have. Um, and then from there, you get into kind of the next two phases, which is now that you know who you are and you know what you stand for and your inside matches your outside, you can start to build a presence. You can start to establish yourself as a leader in your space or get people to kind of the, the target of people that you really want to know who you are, know what you stand for. Um, and that really comes into play with social media and video and public relations and sometimes investor relations, um, getting involved in trade media, um, advertising, all that stuff kind of sits there, product launches. Um, and then the last phase is really all about feeling predictable growth. And that's what we all know is demand generation, right? That's all about multi-component, super smart, super targeted, um, email marketing, paid digital marketing, paid social marketing, organic digital, um, you know, really strong calls to action and lead magnets that drive your buyers to the site and get them to convert and experience and interact with you. Um, really thinking through that and the metrics um, and how you actually start to drive, you know, a top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel strategy. Uh, to fill your pipeline so that as you move forward and you continue to grow, it's predictable, it's scalable, and it's systematic. So kind of a long answer, but that's that's our, our model. Sure. Uh, so as a small business owner, how, how would you tell them to start out in getting their marketing plan going? Yeah. Honestly, I would still start. I'd follow the same three steps. I'd just do it in a scrappier way. And so I can tell you, even as growth mode, we're about six years old. We're, we'll have our birthday here in September. Um, and we did, we, we drank our own Kool-Aid, if you will. And we did the same exact exercise for ourselves. 
so that we could figure out, you know, why we were important to our customer, unique to us, and and prove and, and our differentiators were provable. And we did it by just simply talking to some of our customers and just asking questions. I mean, I do recommend that if you have the resources to have a marketing expert do it to start there. But if not, take your customers out to clients and don't just or, or out to coffee and don't just take the ones that love you. Take the ones that don't like you and say, what are we doing right? Why did you choose us? What can we do differently? Did, have you ever talked to anybody as a competitor? And what did they bring that you thought was interesting? What's the last article you read online? You know, like ask the questions because it's amazing the information, the insights you can glean um, about what makes you you and what is your authentic story. So if I were a small business, that's what I would do. And I am a small business, so I understand. And I am an entrepreneur. Um, and then from there, once you once you have that in place, identify your target audience. Like some companies um, make the mistake of trying to let the whole world know who they are when really they only want 10 clients this year. If you only want 10 clients, you probably know which 10 you want. Think long and hard about who you really want to add to your to your client base in the next year and focus your marketing energy there instead of all over the place. That's probably the biggest piece of advice that I can give to, to uh, small businesses that are just starting or that have been around for a while and are struggling with sales. Yeah, so uh, in, in, in the EO world, we have a concept called the shiny object. What would you say to an entrepreneur who would tell their team, don't say no to anybody? How, how do you get around that fact that sometimes saying no is the best thing you can do in the marketing world? Yeah, you know, I have had the, I don't know if luxury is the right word, but I have seen the consequences of following this shiny object in my own businesses, but also with clients. And I can tell you irrefutably that if you have a targeted approach and you have a business model in mind, it will pay 10 times over to stay focused on what it is that you do best. And, and here's why. Because let's say, I'll just use my own agency and my own experience as an example. If we try to service um, a business or a client who needs an in-depth public relations program, and we love the client and they're super nice and they fit all of our other criteria and all they want is public relations. So we really just want to give it a try anyway. Guess what? We're not the best PR agency in the world. We partner with PR people. We do a lot of PR, but that's not what we do best. And then what happens is they don't feel like they got what they wanted. They're not a referenceable customer. We're not happy with the services we delivered and my employees aren't happy because they got stuck doing something they weren't confident in delivering and they couldn't do their best work. So stay the course because the end will be worth it. You'll fill that slot with someone else. And the better you do at what you do best, the more referenceable customers you'll have and the more customers will refer you to the next set of, of, of clients. Um, earlier you had mentioned something around building a website for somebody. I can recall a conversation that I had with a marketing person and I had brought up this topic of partnering with us because we're Magento, we're a Magento shop. And they said, well, our clients don't really sell things online. They only, they only market things. 
And so, no, we're not interested in partnering with you because we're not doing e-commerce. And this was pre-pandemic. So if you, what would you say to a small business owner that when, when they come to you and they say, yeah, we'd like to build up this marketing campaign, but no, we're not going to sell anything. Yeah. Oh, where do I start with that one? Well, first of all, pre-pandemic was definitely different in the B2B world. Um, and even in the consumer-based world, for sure. But it was different because there was a belief that all, not all, I'm not going to say all, but sales were primarily relationship-based and that feed on the street was the most effective mechanism for selling. But data will tell you, and you can go ahead and put this in your Google and, and look for it, and you'll find all sorts of stats, that 90 plus percent of B2B decision makers are on your website prior to ever engaging a salesperson. COVID happened and it became 100% because they had no other way to reach um, an organization to learn about solutions. And we saw over the course of 2020 and the end 2021, a huge, huge uptick in people investing in their overall infrastructure of their websites, adding e-commerce capabilities um, and really thinking through those buyer journeys and who was actually going to their site, what they were experiencing and what type of information they wanted to provide. So it is probably true in some instances that very few instances that you may not sell something on your site, but it would never be true that somebody wouldn't use your site as an important piece of information in the sales evaluation process. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, and I, I can I can comment on the fact that a lot of a lot of current business owners are, and especially salespeople, are concerned that the buyer journey will will disclude or will will cut out the salesperson. And I know that one one way we've gotten over that is just giving the website as another tool to enable that salesperson to sell. And then, I guess you have to say it selling the salespeople on this new tool and it's not going to infringe on their ability to sell even more. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's important to sell or to make it known to the owner or the entrepreneur of the organization that this is a new tool and don't try to take the, the commissions away from the salespeople because this is going to increase everybody's business and having those tools online and the ability to purchase directly in the middle of the night on a Sunday or whatever time of the day is that that buyer wants to purchase, it just enables them to do more with their products and to sell more. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. And and I've actually given um, presentations on the importance of the relationship between sales and marketing, because I believe, I say this often um, to people who know me, but I believe that Um, marketing represents the voice of the customer, sales represents the voice of a customer, and both are equally important. And so when you think about the marketing mix, the role of marketing is to enable sales. So sales can do their job and to understand what the B market needs and to provide the awareness and kind of the ground cover that makes your buyer market, your industry, your marketplace, and maybe potential employees aware of who you are and what you stand for and what makes you you. And then 
the rest of your job in marketing is to help those sales folks shine and to be able to do what they do best, which is sell and to be able to meet the needs of the voice of a customer. And so to your point, like the website is a critical role because it's where people go first for that top of the funnel stuff, right? Trying to find people and have them be aware of you. It also is where people stay to get to middle of the funnel. So as they're cranking through kind of their gear and their priorities and their initiatives, eventually <clears throat> there comes a time when they need your product. You want to be top of mind. That is marketing's job. When it gets to the middle of a funnel, sales and marketing need to hold hands and work through that together to get that person to convert from being aware of you to being interested in talking to you. And then at that point, sales comes in and they lead the conversations, they lead the, the processes, they lead the actual sale in terms of taking um, your solutions and turning them into what is the most um, beneficial for the client's needs and meeting them where they're at. That's my philosophy on, on uh, the importance of, of making sure sales and marketing work together. Yeah. So I, I want to just kind of continue down this road of buyer journey and, and really having a entrepreneur ex, uh, dive into their buyer journey and find out places that are resistance. And going back to the website and what you talked about, this is where the top level, this is where they're going to get their information. Um, their traditional buyer journey was they'd go to the website, they would look at that information they would call a salesperson, that salesperson would talk to them, then they would put the order in, salesperson would either put the order directly into their ERP system, or they would call some customer service person who then put it into an ERP system. Um, so uh, I guess one, one message that I've been always trying to tell business owners or in the, who are in this B2B space is, if, even if you don't want your client to put orders in directly, Think about the resistance that's in that buyer journey and examine that buyer journey uh, to enable more sales to happen without any resistance in that sales process. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could not agree more. And that's another thing we've actually seen a big uptick in, in terms of investments is really re thinking and re-understanding and recalibrating that buyer journey because you're, you're right, Brent, it's, it's changing before our very eyes in the B2B world because of COVID and the amount of things that happen online, both before and after a salesperson is engaged is shifting and it's becoming maybe not circular, but not linear. It's maybe kind of like an up and down or a wavy or a little bit of a loop, right? Where people are in engaging and enacting, interacting in both. You know, the only other thing I would add to what you said is we have seen clients uh, very interested in segmentation. So a lot of industry vertical kind of stuff, um, maybe uh, buyer types and like ideal client and customer profiles. So, and even company profiles. So you might be doing like a C-suite, you know, persona with a buyer journey map for C-level decision makers or purchasing um, folks. But now you're also seeing a C-level buyer in the manufacturing space. What does that buyer journey look like? What does that persona look like? And so they're, they're like almost, they're, they're, um, there's growing so much in importance to a business. And, 
And I remember when I kind of first started in marketing, I wasn't so sure about whether or not buyer journeys were worth all the time they took and all the money they took. But I have become a believer as, as I've watched it work for, you know, companies where I've led marketing, but also with the clients that we, we work with. It's crazy when you know who, you, who you're serving, why you're serving them, what matters most to them, how much more effective everything you do after that can be. Um, so in the e-commerce world, we see a lot of um, we we see a lot of obviously inbound sales growth through marketing, and there isn't a lot of uh, KPIs needed on the sales side because it's a it's a happy it's more on the marketing side. When there's a B two B journey or a B two B marketing, there's some sales KPIs and then there's some marketing KPIs. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how to mix those and how to put those together. So the sales team is understanding what the marketing team is delivering to them. And even more important, the marketing team understands what the sales team needs and those, those KPIs that are maybe important to both. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, okay. Now you touched on one of my favorite topics <laughs> because even though I'm not a numbers person, I love metrics because they tell you what's working, what's not working and where people are going. And it helps you fine tune the, your marketing dollars and your investment so that it's going exactly where you want to. So that is like, that's a super exciting question. Um, now I will say it's, it can be very difficult. So for our clients specifically, we tend to build out um, metrics dashboards in Google Data Studio. Um, sometimes Tableau, sometimes systems that they already own. Sometimes we just look through um, HubSpot, because they already own HubSpot and they have their CRM there, Salesforce, et cetera. There's lots of different tools that you can use. Um, but what we do and what I recommend anybody does is when you, when you write your marketing plan, identify your KPIs for each of the things that you're doing. When it comes to marketing and sales specifically, um, one strategy that we've seen work really well in B2B, this, this I don't think would apply to B2C, but is that you would have something called like a marketing qualified lead. So you'd have an opportunity, you know, which is any kind of inquiry or contact that comes into your, into your fold, right? And they either meet the, the criteria as a prospect or they don't. If they don't meet the criteria, you need to kind of boot them out of the system and say, thanks, you can listen to us, but we know, you know, we know you're not a client or a prospective client. If they are a prospective client and they meet your kind of criteria, it doesn't even have to be banned, right? It doesn't have to be they're buying right now. It can just be that they're, they fit the right profile. Um, then what you wanna do is you wanna work them through lead scoring. And so what lead scoring will do is it will help you think, it'll help you know based on the behaviors that each of these prospects and users are taking, how interested they really are. So they might start by visiting your website, but if they go to the careers page, they maybe get negative five points. If they go to the product page and they watch a demo, they might get 25 points. And you work your way through these points. And then when it gets to a point where, you know, most often we have one, two, and three marketing qualified leads in a one, two, and three phase. When it reaches three, it reaches a certain point threshold where a salesperson will get an email or an alert within their CRM that says, hey, this person's done enough marketing activity that it's probably worth reaching out. 
And I always liken it to um, the MQL2s. The MQL3s are the, are the kids in the classroom that are going, pick me, pick me. The MQL2s are the ones that are in the back of the room that are super curious, but don't want to raise their hand yet. And the MQL1s are the kids that didn't even want to come to class in the first place, right? So, so it's don't send the kids that didn't want to come to the class to the sales team. They're busy. They don't need those guys, right? And they don't want to talk to you. So wait till they're raising their hand or they want to raise their hand and then get those sales folks and their skill sets involved. Yeah, that is a great analogy. And I love that picture you've painted. Uh, <laughs> putting, on, uh, putting on my entrepreneur hat, um, and, and just, you had mentioned early, earlier that you are an extension of somebody's marketing team. What would you tell an entrepreneur, um, that is, who believes that, that they should just hire everybody in the house and they don't, they want to have internal resources and don't depend on anything, uh, from, uh, from a marketing agency. That's a great question. So I have a, a couple of things there and I'm actually gonna answer this. I also was a VP and a senior VP of marketing um, in the B2B world. So I know what it's like to sit on kind of both sides. Granted, they were bigger companies. One was really big, the other one was kind of mid-size. But um, I, the advice that I would give entrepreneurs is <clears throat> if you are not an expert in marketing, you really, really need to think about hiring somebody who is just like you hire an accountant, just like you hire a lawyer. Like if you're not, if it's not your expertise and your core competency, then be okay with investing in that and, and building that as part of kind of your growth infrastructure. Um, most often when we end up with retain, retainer type clients, which we have a lot of, it's because they need the world of marketing has so many ex areas of expertise. You have strategy from a marketing perspective, you have strategy from a content perspective, you have graphic design, you have video, you have web development, you have social media, you have, I mean, there is, you've got paid digital, you've got organic, you've got, I mean, the amount of skills that are needed to truly run marketing from the top to the bottom and everything in between are just, there's a lot to it. And so the clients that we work with love being able to bring in an agency that can literally dial up and down. Like today we're doing a rebrand. So I need a lot of heavy lifting around how we tell our story and what we look like to the market. Okay, I'm done with that. Now what I really want is digital. So then those people go away and you spend, you bring in your digital experts. Well, if you hire all those people, you better have a lot of marketing to do because you're going to spend a fortune trying to get all the right skill sets. And every once in a while, you'll find a unicorn that can do a lot of things, but it's pretty much impossible to find a unicorn that can do everything. And it's very common, especially for business owners to come to me and say, I hired a marketing coordinator and he or she's really good at writing strategies, but I don't see any tactics or vice versa really good at doing what I ask, but there's no strategic thinking. It's very, very difficult to find somebody that can do it all. I don't even know if you can. And so that's, to me, if I, if I were running a small business that wasn't marketing, we obviously do our own, I would take the time and I would invest in it because it's a, it's a serious lever of growth. And you don't want to spend all that money on all those people. You'd rather just use people that already know what they're doing. The one other benefit that I see a lot, and I always tell um, 
you know, my friends that are, that are still on the client side, uh, this a lot. Like one thing I've learned having been on both sides of the fences is that when you work with an agency, they get the opportunity to see how lots of people work versus just themselves. And I never realized that until I was on the agency side. And so if you're trying to think about something differently, engage an agency because you'll get the, the benefit of all of these ideas that they get to share with other clients um, that you will never see otherwise. Yeah, so two points of that last, uh, your last statement there. Uh, the first one is um, that agencies um, need to, to the agency, they need to be always talking to their clients and sharing those, those stories with your other clients. Mm-hmm. That is value that you get out as a client, and that's value you give as an agency. The next part about hiring and and the unicorn, especially, you know, we're a development house, and uh, I can say that we have a few unicorns. A lot of some some people that can do everything, but the part that's the hardest is managing a team. And I have repeatedly said to some of our unicorns. That's great, but now let's talk about times 12, times 15, times 20. How, uh, how are you going to get that done? If a certain task or a certain project takes three months, hey, that's great. That means four projects a year, but we actually want to get done 20 projects a year. So how are we going to make this work as a team? So you as a business owner, you as an entrepreneur needs to look, take that same look and think, okay, well, yes, uh, having an internal resource is great. And in our job climate, in the especially in the Adobe space, you know, you're going to look at uh, six figures on a on a developer salary, um, and that developer salary needs to be specialized in our space, in the Adobe space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really need to have a front end developer. You need a brand person. You need to have you need a designer. Then you need a UX person. Okay, well, suddenly now you're your, your, say your six figure budget is turning into nearly a seven figure budget that you need for your small, not small brand, medium sized brand, even that, um, that will bring in, you know, maybe six figures in revenue. (laughs) So you have to, as an entrepreneur, you have to make that hard decision and look at that. And really, I think one, one good point you made about is, is really let's look at the numbers, analyze the numbers and come up with some ROIs on that. Yeah. Well, into your point, like you might say, well, I don't want to pay an agency a hundred thousand dollars to develop my website because I'll probably only make a hundred thousand dollars in sales or attribute $100,000 to sales in the first year, I could hire somebody for $100,000. Yes, one person. You can hire one person for that and you're going to need about eight. So it's not that you're spending $100,000 with an agency versus $100,000 internally. You're spending $800,000 internally versus $100,000 internally. And I think people who don't understand the marketing discipline and the complexity of building a website that actually works don't always um, see that, that piece of it. Yeah. And the, 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 the small part about being an entrepreneur as well is 
it's a lot easier to fire an agency than it is to fire a group of eight people. <laughs> that is so true. And the other part too is, and I'll be, you know, completely honest and I love this and it makes me sad at the same time, but because we're specialized in growth marketing, we get to work with all these great clients who start small and get big. And then they do hire internal teams because they've gotten significantly bigger. And it's very sad for us because we miss them, but we're very happy because our kids are grown and gone, right? And it's okay because, and oftentimes I'm putting this in for, for project-based things, but things change. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Like it's, it's a lot easier, you know, and in COVID especially this happened a lot where you could contract and, and increase as you needed to versus having that payroll sitting there all the time needing to be used. Yeah. And I think the message too, to an agency, cause we do get that too, where people get bigger and then they start hiring an internal development team and suddenly, you know, we're not doing so much work, but having that quarterly strategy session with that client, just to, to see what they're doing. Uh, it's easy when you're focused on your team and you're in a, and you're in a silo, it's easy to, stay in your silo and always just go in that same direction. But I think that what we've seen, and especially in this world with so many new platforms coming out, there are so many different routes you can take and there's places and things you should test, not only for development, but especially in marketing, uh, you need to test those things and make sure that you're doing um, or trying them at least. I know that um, what one, I, I heard a comment, I think it was Gary Vee or something like that said that social media is like you're advertising. You don't advertise on a show, a hit TV show thinking, is this show going to be around for a year? Well, no, it's, it's here now and it's popular. So try that, try that platform, see how it works. Um, and, and if it's around in a year, great. If it's not move on to the next one, but at least test them to see how well they're working. Yep, that, that's the very premise of growth marketing, Brent, is, you know, hypothesize, create, you know, build or develop, um, implement, test, refine, right? And just keep doing it, iterative improvements. Um, and it's really cool too, because marketers have more numbers than they ever have before and more metrics to work with. So for example, you can test like, we call them lead magnets, but uh, a high value uh, asset that you put on your homepage, say you know, a demo for a software company or a free trial for a gym or whatever. Um, and you, you, pick, you play with those and you do A-B tests, right? And it is amazing how, as you continue to refine them, one always comes to the, to the top. You know, so I, I think that is a, a really, really good um, perspective and good insight. Uh, in the beginning of our conversation, you had mentioned a couple of inbound things that people could be doing. You had mentioned paid, paid media, paid, paid social. Maybe we could just take a little bit of time towards the end of our conversation here to talk about a few of those things merchants should be looking at, or even not merchants, anybody's trying to market something. And I just want to keep saying, if you're marketing something, you're not doing it for free. You're doing it because you'd like to sell it. So I'd like to dispel this idea that commerce isn't part of marketing. Marketing is to sell something. That's the, that's the basis. And um, so anyways, uh, you're doing, 
social media, you're doing paid ads, you're doing organic ads. What, what are the, what if we were to take the top five things or top seven or eight things, what, what, what would be those things you would, you would recommend? Yeah. So what I always recommend is starting with what your desired outcome is and then doing some kind of, you know, back of the napkin math to determine, you know, if you need a million dollars in sales, um, and each product is worth X amount, how many opportunities do you need? You know, you close half of them. Um, and then what do you need, you know, from a you know, lead perspective? So I always recommend starting with that. So you know what you actually need, right? But in terms of the types of programs, it truly does depend on who you are, who you're targeting, what you're positioning. So for example, if you're selling to a CIO, right, or an IT decision maker or an engineer, they are very driven and guided by peer reviews, um, by NPR, by Reddit, you know, they have, they have, they're, they're, they're super smart people who rely on meaningful, credible information to help them make decisions and colleagues who recommend. So the strategy you would use if that's your audience is going to be different. That said, from a digital perspective, you would absolutely still want to invest in organic uh, social media for LinkedIn and for Twitter in any B2B audience. Um, if you're interested in the talent side of things, make sure you're on Facebook and make sure and start to think about an Instagram strategy if you haven't. People think I'm crazy, um, but I'm not because take just five minutes if you've got teenagers anywhere near you or young adults anywhere near you in the workforce, 25, 30 years old, they're on Instagram, they're on Snapchat, they're on TikTok, they are absorbing information differently than we are, and meaning us old people like me. And they are making, they're going, there are future decision makers. There are future decision makers. So start thinking about how you're going to build awareness and influence within those, those channels and those worlds as those people start to make decisions. Um, I'm not doing a super good job of answering your question in a pointed way, but I think any any foundational demand generation program, you know, with or without commerce or e-commerce needs to have a strong social media footprint in your basic channels. It needs to have strong and consistent organic content. It needs to have high value information that helps the folks that you are selling to understand your product better, do their jobs better, um, have an emotional appeal, whatever the situation is, but high value content, a rock solid content marketing strategy, organic social, and then paid digital through SEO, pay-per-click and display is probably where I would start. Um, I will say that in certain areas, email marketing is definitely not dead. There are a lot of places where email marketing works really well. The only thing I'll say about that is that it, absolutely depends on a database that is um, in good shape. And so it's not uncommon for us to work with clients where they want to do email marketing, but they don't have the database. And so if you're in that situation, know that you're going to have to invest in your database before any of that email marketing stuff will work, which means you should turn to social and pay digital because that does not require you to spend money on a database. The other thing that's really interesting is intent data. So if you haven't, I don't know if you've used intent data yet, Brent, but 
it's actually fascinating and it's the thing that makes people so mad right when they say alexa is listening <laughs> because there are there is the ability on um to actually be able to detect patterns um around buying behaviors and and influences um and place advertising in front of folks who you know are actually interested and actually fit your profile and while you might say that's spooky because they're listening to me the flip side is it's relevant. Wouldn't you rather have relevant content and relevant ads than things that you don't care about at all? So there's, I always think there's two, two sides to that coin. Yeah. And I think intent data, it's easy one to see too, is if you click on something and suddenly you start seeing ads for that something everywhere you're, you're right. browsing, that's just targeted ads. That's targeted ads using intent data. So they took your cookie and they said, this guy likes golf clubs. And then you see golf clubs, yeah, everywhere. And then you might just see golf apparel and then you might see golf vacations, right? And that's intent data at work. Yeah. yeah, and intent data is best seen on Facebook when all I get in my feed are, are bike apparel stuff. <laughs> and I don't even bike that much. Come <laughs> right. on. Right, um, right. <laughs> all right, so we have a little bit of time left. Just, I want to change a little bit directions here. We've been talking a lot about diversity in our community. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that you're a woman, women-owned, women-founded company. Yeah. Maybe from an entrepreneur's standpoint, um, how, how maybe some advice for women who want to start, or, um, or from a diversity background, what would you, what, what, how maybe you could comment a little bit about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I don't get asked that often. Um, you know, if you, for women, um, people of color, any, any, my, I actually also, um, have arthritis, so I actually have a disability. Um, and my advice to people are, um, who, who might feel like they, they can't do it or feel like maybe they're in a minority situation is if, if, if you want to do it and you believe you can, you will. Right. Um, and reach out. If you have a good idea, put it on paper, talk to people about it, uh, draw inspiration from those who you trust and respect most, um, use your friends and your networks to make you stronger and better and pay it forward, make other people stronger and better. And um, honestly, this is a shameless plug for EO, but join organizations like EO. Because I find that my forum is like my own little advisory board. And I can draw on all of these super smart folks who can give me advice where maybe I don't have the strengths yet or the um, skill set or the know-how. Um, and there's a lot of grants and resources, especially for women-owned businesses, that to get you started. So you can look for, I believe it's W-B-E-N-C, I could be wrong, but if you search for, um, you know, women-owned businesses or women-owned business resources, you'd be amazed at what you can find in the way of grants and, and um, just, just resources to help write a business plan, to help build a budget. Um, they offer a lot of help. And, uh, you know, I always tell people who call me who say, I'm thinking about leaving corporate America and starting my own business. What advice would you give me? I always say, make sure you have a great CPA. Make sure that you have a lawyer because you're going to want to make sure you have all your articles of incorporation and all that stuff set up right. And um, make sure that you have a really solid network because the best way to get started is to rely on the people around you who know a lot, who know best and who can help you. Okay, so one last question then. What would you say to a, it, 
how would you say, what would you say to a bald white male who <laughs> typifies the, um, the, the non-diverse aspect and we're in Minnesota. So, you know, the bald white <laughs> male is the person in the entrepreneur community that's most represented, unfortunately, maybe <laughs> sometimes they have hair, but who knows, sometimes they don't. Right, right. Um, what advice would you give them to help enable uh, people of color, people of diverse backgrounds, women, who, whomever it is that would like to get into the entrepreneur community, how could you give them some advice and enable them to be advocates for, for that? So if, if I were a white male, what advice would I give me? Is that what you're asking? What would you, and so, you know, I, I ask this question a lot and I think, you know, making noise around it is the first thing. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of uh, bold white males don't feel like they should be on any committees or be part of a diversity back program because yeah. uh, I'm not diverse. So what do I have to offer? Yeah, well, you, that is a, first of all, really insightful and, and great that you're asking it, but um, your skills and your knowledge and your connections, you know, ev everybody who starts at the very beginning needs some, they need, they need strength, they need grit, they need intelligence, but they also need a running start and a lucky break, right? So I think helping people, connecting people to resources and potential clients and um, information is what you can do most. And to just remove the barrier, you know, and I, I'll get, I don't know if this is even a fair example, but um, you're right, EO is definitely comprised primarily of white men. Um, but there is a conscientious effort to increase the diversity within the group. And I, I have seen that happen. And I do learn from all of the folks, whether they're white men or they're other women or they're uh, people who have come, you know, here from other countries. Um, so I think just the more you open yourself up to a conversation with somebody who is a minority and you let them in, and you share what you know, that barrier starts to just go away. You don't even, you don't even see it anymore. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I think I'll add on just at, that you, you should be aware, be aware of the fact that, that maybe you're in a privileged person. And I'll, I'll just say that to myself that be aware of that, that and then invite people to that and start the conversations. And I think the most important thing is don't be afraid to have that difficult conversation. Uh, and it may feel uncomfortable. And, <clears throat> you know, myself as a mid Midwest Lutheran, you know, we, we would tend to look at our own shoelaces before we'd look at the person. So mm -hmm. maybe looking up and seeing that there's somebody different and that, Hey, that they have something to offer. And it makes this community even better when it's more diverse. Yep. I agree. And, you know, I think Sometimes the answers can be found in our children, right? Um, I think about my kids are, you know, teenagers and young adults now, but when they were little, they didn't think twice about where a person came from or how much money they had or what color their skin was or what gender they were because they just didn't know to. And if all humans could be like that, we'd live in a wonderful world. We absolutely was, would, <laughs> sorry. Um, 
Well, great. This, you know, we've really chewed up this hour. And uh, so just as we're closing out, what what kind of nugget could you give a, a person that wants to sell something? They don't have to sell it online, but they'd have something to sell. What would be something good that you could tell them to do? Yeah, I would say um, make sure you know who you want to sell it to. Make sure you know why they want to buy it and meet them where they're at in their buying process. If you do those things, you will succeed. Great, thank you. Um, so as we close out the show, I, I like to give everybody a chance to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like to plug. So okay. And go ahead and give us a shameless plug. Well, my daughter's selling pizza. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Pizzas for her swim team. I'm kidding. Um, you know, I guess, you know, I'm really proud of growth mode and the, the agency that we, we have built, me and my um, business partner. And um, I guess what I'm most proud of is that we were named um, to Inks. We're about six years old. I think I mentioned that earlier. And we were named to Inks, the fastest growing companies. Um, we're actually in the top 25%. Um, and we are a certified WBENC um, company. And I attribute that to certainly setting the right stage and building the right kind of culture and the right vision for how marketing should be um, done with you know, the businesses that we have the privilege to serve. But I also attribute it to having an amazing team um, that makes every day fun and makes every client happier and makes you know the world a better place and we our secret sauce is absolutely the team that has allowed us to grow the way that we've grown um so i guess my plug is really really around just you know growth mode as an agency but also the the great team and and um clients honestly that we get to work with that's great thank you um i, I will give one small plug both and being fully transparent Jennifer is the marketing chair this year for EO Minnesota. I am the membership chair for EO Minnesota. If you are in the Twin Cities area, I would encourage you to reach out to us if you're an entrepreneur and learn about Entrepreneurs Organization Minnesota. It is a global chapter. There's 15,000 members. It's a great organization. And as Jen mentioned earlier, um, EO gives you a chance to talk to other entrepreneurs that you would never get the chance to do. You can't tell your best friend who is working in a, in a company in a corporate world about, hey, I can't make payroll this week, or I can make payroll. And by the way, I just made an extra million dollars this year. Um, those are conversations you can have with your entrepreneurs group that you can't, you can't always have with your typical friends and family. So it is a great thing to join, at least learn about. And Minnesota, the, our, our entrepreneurs organization in Minnesota is a great chapter and uh, we are looking for members. So that's my shameless plug. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Jennifer Roth is the president and co-founder of Growth Mode Marketing in the Twin Cities. And all of the, our links and show notes will be available for you to get those. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by Swift Daughter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. 
No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet SwiftDaughter. SwiftDaughter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. Cloud is a new normal for companies of any size. Buying, maintaining, upgrading, and disposing of machines is expensive and complicated. Amazon Web Services, managed by eWay Corp, offers an easy-to-use, flexible, cost-effective solution to all your infrastructure needs. eWay Corp can provide a secure, reliable, scalable, high-performance network that will make your office hum. Not literally. eWay Corp has saved its customers an average of 31% on their IT costs while adding 62% to the bottom line efficiency. To top that, their customers have seen 43% fewer security incidents. Go to eWayCorp.com to learn how you can start saving money and headaches by moving to the cloud. That's E-W-A-Y-C-O-R-P dot com. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce, new shows out every week.